This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast with a diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today. We believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader, or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips, and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. Welcome to episode 12 of Women Speak Cyber. We're so excited to have you join us. This will be the final episode of this series, and I don't think we could end it in a better way. We'd love to welcome Jasmine Woolley. For those of you who don't know Jasmine, you're going to learn a lot about her tonight. We met her as a participant of Project Friedman. So Jasmine, welcome. I think this is your second podcast now. Yes, it is. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So welcome. For those that may not have heard of you before, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm a governance, risk and compliance security advisor for a cybersecurity company. And I am currently studying a Master of National Security Policy Studies at ANU. I am one of five Australian women to receive the National Intelligence Community Scholarship for Women which means that they've recognised me as a standout leader in cybersecurity and that ASD, ASIO and a range of those other secret squirrel letters are paying for my master's. I actually fell into cybersecurity from Project Friedman. So to start from doing my Bachelor of International Relations, that's how I ended up getting into Project Friedman and meeting all of you amazing ladies. Wow. And so... This is your first official role in the cyber world, is that right? Yeah, it is. So it's been a steep learning curve coming from international relations and politics into cybersecurity. And what was it about cyber that interested you to take that step into this industry? I think I was just really interested to learn something different. I think cybersecurity is so important to Australia's national security, so it seemed like a genuine step in the right direction and I wanted to learn more about how cyber influences our diplomacy. Amazing. Gosh, to be your age and kind of already understand some of that is pretty amazing. Cyber wasn't even on my radar when I was in my early 20s, so that's pretty amazing. And this scholarship is pretty incredible too. Are you doing that remotely or are you having to travel down to Canberra or...? I could travel down to Canberra and do classes in person, but instead I've decided to do it remote. I think that's one of the really special things about that scholarship is that they've chosen five women from all across Australia, and I think all of us are actually studying remote. The disciplines that those women have come from, accounting, also another one from cybersecurity, and they've truly come from so many different areas and the national security sector has realised the talent of diversity and diversity of thought. So I think that's something to be celebrated. Jasmine, since you're fairly new to the industry, we get to ask you a few questions about what it's been like. How long has it been so far that you've been actually working in cybersecurity? Yeah, so since January and I was first exposed to cyber through my mentor, which I got through Project Friedman, and that was Pip Jenkinson at Batum Solutions. He very quickly linked me into the cybersecurity community and I've made a lot of networking. So it feels a lot longer than it actually has been. 
but here we are. Fabulous. Well, we're so glad you're here. Is there any kind of observations you've had in your first year in the industry? And second question, follow-up question, do you feel your, your bachelors gave you a good foundation? Because we talk about attracting people from other professions and backgrounds into cybersecurity. So I'd be keen to hear about your experiences there. Yeah. So I think if I go from the latter part of that question, coming from a Bachelor of International Relations where I focused on languages and culture, it was actually really useful to go into that cybersecurity field with a different background. It made me more valuable in that I was able to bring something different to the table. And I I think quite a few people in cybersecurity are now on that path of understanding that cyber security needs diversity of thought and also people from different disciplines. There's a reason we've got musicians working in cyber security now. There's a reason we've got all these different random disciplines now transitioning into cyber. I think what I've learned in this time, it's really important to build a network. Companies have to be on board with that and to provide those networking opportunities. For me, as a First Nations woman in cybersecurity, like that's a whole different game and it's a whole different experience in cyber. I see that there's a real need to provide a supportive place for women and that's why I love initiatives like Women Speak Cyber. But, yeah, I just think there needs to be a lot more done with networking and that's really crucial to thriving in this industry. We talk about it with a lot of our guests, that network and that core support that you have around yourself is so important to everyone in the industry to have people to lean on. And as you're experiencing now, a lot of the roles that you find in this industry are through that network. So it's a really important thing. Speaking of networks, you went to your first big cyber event recently and we won't touch on your uh, your speaking experience yet, but how did you find that? That was actually really interesting and so beneficial. And for me, I'm also a graduate, so I'm in a grad program and I actually fed back that feedback to my company and I said, hey, I think every graduate should have to go to a cybersecurity conference and here's why. And I think that's because the networking and just meeting so many different people, I didn't realise how many different types of jobs there are in cybersecurity till you talk to those people doing that work. I've recently discovered operational technology and I was like, oh, that actually sounds really interesting too. And it's totally the opposite of governance, risk and compliance. So I think it's just really broadening your horizons and understanding how big cybersecurity is because it's huge. Yeah, and you're you're at the perfect sort of age and time in your career that you want to explore all the different parts and find that part that you're really passionate about. You know, Shana talked about that she just loves what she does. She's found her kind of home in the industry and I'm kind of excited to watch your journey now and see where that might be. You know, you and I talk often about which parts of the industry you like. I'm kind of going to be watching your career with fascination to see where you do actually end up because I know you were approached by a lot of different people who were interested in working with you. So that's, you know, that's really fantastic. Yeah, and a couple of the job conversations and or opportunities that have arisen for me lately was out of that cybersecurity conference. 
that was purely through other supportive women, to be honest, that I had met in the industry that went, hey, I love what you're doing. Can we have a chat about how I can actually help you out? And I think that's just really special that there are supportive people out there like that. Yeah, I agree with that, Jasmine. I I only really felt like I began to truly thrive in this industry when I found that network of really supportive women that genuinely wanted to kind of lift me up and help me succeed and, and kind of be part of that extended work family, really. So yeah, it definitely makes a difference to have that supportive network and it is really important. So we're going to jump to your story of Project Friedman because we touched on it earlier, but love for you to kind of take us back to talk us through like what led you to apply and maybe a little bit about your speaking experiences to date before you joined Project Friedman. Yeah, so I actually was on LinkedIn when I saw it sponsored as, oh, apply for Project Friedman sponsored by ASD. And I must admit, it was the sponsored by ASD part that got me. I was like, oh, wow, this must be a really good initiative. At that stage, I was 19 years old. And a lot of people don't realize that. Like, I was so young to be a 19-year-old. I was like, you know what? I probably won't get accepted, but I just want to put in my application and see what's out there. Like, I was doing a fast-tracked bachelor degree. It was going to be, I started at 17, was finishing it at 19. I wanted to see just what I could achieve and what could lead me into this industry. So at the same time as I applied for Project Friedman, I was actually accepted into um, an internship that was like 40 hours a week plus full-time study. Then I was accepted to another internship and I was like, okay, I'm really passionate about all of this. Can I manage it? And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was accepted to Project Friedman and I was like, oh my God, this is actually a really heavy workload. And I remember thinking, do I give something up? I was like, okay, there's no way I'm giving up Project Friedman. What I actually find kind of really cool about that is Project Friedman actually changed my life. And I've said this a million times, Project Friedman changed my life more than the 40 hour a week internship that was unpaid, more than the internship in New South Wales. It was something so special that I ended up getting a job in the industry and I met the most amazing mentor I could have ever asked for. So that was sort of the reason I applied was because I knew it would teach me a lot and that I wanted to speak and share my ideas. I didn't know what those ideas were. I just knew that I had something to say and I figured Project Friedman was a good starting point. Prior to that, the public speaking experience, I had done diplomacy at university. So I had spoken in front of people. I had spoken in front of people for other subject assessments, but nothing on the scale of what I did for Project Friedman. You know, I would say we had no idea you were 19 from your application. And actually, you surprised us probably (laughs) as much as you surprised yourself. We had no idea. I think your application read as well as some seasoned women in this industry. So (laughs) that was surprise number one for us. But I think surprise number two would probably be that of the participants, you were probably one that grabbed the opportunity with both hands and just ran with it. And I think that's all we've ever wanted for this program is for people to 
get as much as they can out of it, make as many connections and then stand on a stage, present and have people come and chase them down for jobs or things like that. That's our that's our dream. And you kind of did all of it and it was pretty bloody amazing, I have to say. And look, you, you touched on your mentor. You're here in Queensland like I am and, you know, you mentioned earlier that you are Indigenous and I thought, who do I know in Queensland that's just such an advocate for people with from an Indigenous background? And I couldn't think of anyone better than Batum and uh, and Pip and Jack. And I know they've been absolutely incredible with you and for you, for their sister. And so what are some of the amazing things that you've learned from them? Oh, where to even begin? <laughs> I actually first came across Batum Solutions in the first semester of my bachelor degree. And I remember being a uni student, I think most of it at some point struggle financially. And I I remember I messaged you both, I emailed you and I said, hey, do you think like I could get some sponsorship because I can't afford to go to a conference or something? And I said, I've heard of this company called Batum Solutions. Do you think they'd be willing to sponsor a young Indigenous woman wanting to work in cybersecurity? And you were like, leave it to me. (laughs) And COVID hit, got really bad again and we had to deal with that. But then the next time I heard back was, hey, Pip Jenkinson at Batum is your mentor. And I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I first met them in September last year and I walked into their office and I said, hey, teach me everything you know. I was so upfront. <laughs> and it was just really good in that the next week I had a job offer on the table. They were just life-changing and I think that's so important for Indigenous mob and for, you know, Indigenous women in this industry. I think there are so many unique struggles that Indigenous females face in cybersecurity that aren't really talked about. And I've seen Batum, they met with me like 10 times <laughs> for my speech. Every time they would help bring in another connection and another piece of research so I could collate this amazing speech and deliver it to the cybersecurity world. And they they believed in me. They just went, we're here to support you. And by that time, I didn't just have Pip as my mentor reviewing my material. I had the CEO of Batum Solutions, Jack Reese, reviewing it. I had five other people in the company reviewing it. I had 18-year-old pen testers that were working at Batum Solutions listening to me practice my speech. It went everywhere. (laughs) Um, I think that's just really special, life-changing for me. I think what's not talked about is that Indigenous people and people in general, I guess, can find working in the corporate world very confronting. And there isn't necessarily a lot of support for that adjustment So for me, I grew up in rural Queensland, you know, on a farm in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And to all of a sudden be moving to Brisbane full time, managing the corporate world, learning all these things coming from international relations and politics into cyber. Batum Solutions was like a lifeline to me. They were just so incredibly supportive. And I actually work from their office now three days a week for cultural support and I just sit in their office, and that's actually open to any Indigenous mob out there too. They're the best, aren't they? They're just the best. 
yeah, just an amazing, amazing story. Jasmine, how did that make you feel, that support that they gave? It just made me feel really grateful, to be honest, and grateful to Project Friedman. It was just the fact that Project Friedman actually started all of this. And I think like that's the hardest part to wrap my head around is it all started with this. Since then, I think just to be able to work in their office and be around family, because that's what they are to me, it's just so important. And I think it's a beacon of light in this industry. Jasmine, I would argue that it actually all started with you and not Project Freeman because it was you that put that application in. It is, it is you that said, I'm going to give this a go and see where it leads me. And everything I've learned about you is that you are, you know, you're that kind of person. You're, you've walked into Batum's office and said, teach me everything you know. That openness and willingness to learn and um, have a go it's really down to you Jasmine and we're grateful that we could play a small part in in that story but um, I have no doubt you're going to keep on shining keep on growing because of that fantastic amazing openness you have to kind of learning so good on you thank you (laughs) yeah that's so nice (laughs) well Let's go back to your speech or your talk, right? Tell us a bit about the coaching you had. I think your coach was Catherine, if I'm correct, on the program. Yeah. And tell us a bit about some of the, what were some of the things she taught you, how that kind of helped you prepare as well? Yeah. So I think like what was really special about Catherine was she was teaching me public speaking training at 19. So she knew that I was young and needed help and She was just supportive in terms of, like I said to her, I just don't even know what to talk about. (laughs) And she said, don't try to pretend to be something you're not. Just relate it back to where you are now. You know, embrace that you're 19. That's good. That's different. Embrace that you're a First Nations woman working in security. She even said, like, talk about that. You can mention that if you want to. Not that you have to, but if you want to. And I went, okay, what can I talk about First Nations Matters and cybersecurity? I was like, what on earth? But she started a brainstorming session and that's when we came up with the final sort of concept of applying First Nations philosophy to cybersecurity strategies and that was so special to me because that was linking my culture and talking about it in such a way that, it promotes diversity of thought and giving back to community at the same time. Apart from that, as a coach, she was just amazing. Like I remember I said to her, Catherine, I just need to hold a pen. <laughs> like I need to hold something because or else I'm going to get scared. And <laughs> she was like, that's okay. You can hold a pen. Like do what makes you feel comfortable, but just embrace it in the moment and be present. And I think being present was probably the hardest thing because I could not stop thinking, oh, well, what are people going to think about my, you know, my experience? You know, I'm young or I'm, I, I haven't worked in cyber long. And at that point, when she was coaching me, I hadn't even actually worked in cybersecurity, but I had something to say about it. She just helped a lot of my fears. And it was, you know, Catherine organizing catch ups really regularly. We talked even the day before my speech and I sat in my car and we had this full on, video chat and she was like give me a speech now and that's how we did it and she just yeah she pushed me 
to deliver the best speech that I could have. Fabulous. Let's go to that day then. OzCert was your first cybersecurity talk. How were you feeling when you woke up that day? Nervous, but also like I just want this done. (laughs) There had been so much practice through Project Friedman. I had sort of delivered a semi version of what I would talk about in a university subject. So I had had the experience of I knew what didn't work last time and I knew that I had done as much as physically possible to deliver something that the audience would want. You know, I was talking to Catherine the morning of and she was just saying it'll be good, you know, it'll be great. Actually, my mentor as well, so they bought four people from the company, Batem Solutions, down all just to see my speech, which was so nice and lovely. There's actually a really beautiful photo on LinkedIn and you can see this whole row of Batem Solutions employees in the blue Torres Strait Islander colour shirts and they're there watching my speech. So they were there the whole morning hugging me, buying me coffee, being like, you're going to do great, like we're here for you, sis. And I think I just felt really supported that morning, even though it was flooding and storming. (laughs) That was like a real nightmare. And I think that just added to the stress that it was, yeah, flooding. (laughs) I was about to say it was probably the worst rain we've had in a good 12 months all in one day. So bad that I actually couldn't even drive from Brisbane to the Gold Coast. It was that bad. The highways, parts of the highway were flooded. It was insane, but she did it. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember seeing that photo of you up there and so just so sorry we couldn't be there. Um, Would have loved to have been there to share that moment, but great that you had that fantastic support there as well. And I think LP and I talk about it a lot, how important it is to have your cheer squad, you know, on the front row, those friendly faces that you kind of feel like they're there, they've got your back. Also make sure we support each other virtually as well because I think that's, you know, really important if you can't be there in person, giving each other those words of encouragement and support. So you did it. You did a fantastic job and then got a lot of fantastic feedback on social media. Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, God, yeah. So where to even begin? I think... What was so special in terms of the outcomes of that speech and what I had to say was, you know, talking about applying First Nations philosophy to cybersecurity, that in itself is a PhD topic. It's mentioned, but it's not really talked about on a big scale. What I found the biggest compliment of it all was I had a couple of people come up to me and say, hey, I went to your speech because this is something I can't learn about on Google and I want to hear what you have to say. I walked out of that speech, my mentor started crying and he just said, I can't believe she just did that. I can't believe she was so confident. Um, And that was so nice. And then I actually, that night, it was the gala dinner for OzCert and I had one of the organisers of OzCert come up to me and say, just letting you know, we've had multiple people come to you and they said you should have been the keynote speaker for the entire conference and we'll get on to that for next year. <laughs> yeah, so there was a couple of tweets going around on Twitter and it was like, oh, Jasmine just won OzCert 2022. Jasmine should have been the keynote. And it was just really encouraging to see. And since then, 
I'll soon be speaking at a couple of cybersecurity conferences and for one of them, I'll be the keynote next year. And it's going to be my master's thesis. And I'm writing a journal article for a research institute, which was off the back of people sitting in my speech. So I had university scholars and um, also like directors of cybersecurity. I had a SISO type a whole LinkedIn post saying that all the sizes in Australia need to stop and listen to the thoughts put forward in my speech and that just blew my mind. (laughs) Incredible and clearly so many people want to hear what you have to say on this subject. Yeah I think what's yeah since then it encouraged me to have more of a voice for women in the cybersecurity industry and I think the conversations that I had with females at Ulster, it it showed me that there's a lot of work to be done in cybersecurity in terms of diversity and inclusion, especially also adding to that First Nations matters in cybersecurity. A lot of the conversations that I've had, I've been called an activist lately and I was like, I'm not an activist. And I realised, I was like, oh, I am. <laughs> I'm with you now, you know, like, to be called an activist, it, it made me think about the responsibilities that I have to support other women in this industry and have really raw and open conversations about what it means to work in cyber and what it means to be welcomed and supported in the industry. Yeah, amazing. For someone who's so young, it blows my mind. But this is what we need in the industry as well, right? We need that youth with the confidence to affect change coming through. So we will just sit and watch this all happen, won't we, LV? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. But I did want to ask you, I appreciate there's a probably a lot of weight on your shoulders from this kind of, you know, you're an activist and given that label and, and you feel this, feel compelled to help women in the industry and to help make it more welcoming. And in particular, I'm guessing as well for First Nations people. Do you feel excited by that or do you feel like it's, you know, quite a lot to carry? One very famous quote, with great power comes great responsibility or something. (laughs) That's, yeah, a little bit how I feel. I think it it can be quite overwhelming sometimes as a 20-year-old working in cybersecurity. But at the same time, it's an honour to be able to help Indigenous people get into cybersecurity. And to me, I I almost think of it as a responsibility. I've reached out to women who are soon starting jobs in cyber and we've talked about networking opportunities and certifications and the good and the bad. And sometimes talking about the bad can be like really awkward because you don't want to be the sacrificial lamb that gets in trouble for saying how it really is but at the same time I think it's kind of a like it is a responsibility it it is I, I don't know how I would feel if a woman entered a company or the industry and was put in an unsafe position I could have done something about it so it's an honor and it can be overwhelming but I think it's just important. She's lost for words. I'm just lost for words because you are just so incredible. And, you know, the way that you are embracing this and, you know, you see this as an opportunity to help other people. We are absolutely blessed 
to have you in this industry. Just so grateful that you're here. And you're already just such a fabulous role model for others. And I'm sure you're going to inspire so many people. Yeah, we're just so grateful that you're here. Ah, thank you. Now, um, Jasmine, I don't want to do your talk a disservice because it would be, I'm sure, impossible to summarize it up in a short space of time. And I would encourage as many people to get out there and listen to you speak on this topic. But is it possible you could give us a bit of a flavor of what you spoke about and share a little bit of insight into that? Yeah, definitely. So, I spoke on applying First Nations philosophy to cybersecurity strategies. That was something that took a very long time to do all the research. At one point, I had over 65 references and none of them were put into the speech because that's information overload. But I ended up talking with a lot of First Nations people and I had to combine what they said with Uh, people that had worked in the Defence Force and in national security and in government, and then also combine that with people that had worked in cybersecurity. So I eventually split my talk up into three different sections. First of all, I said, what do I mean by First Nations philosophy? What do I mean by cybersecurity strategy? And then I said, There's three elements of Indigenous philosophy that I will talk about. So the first one was adaptability and why we need to be adaptable in cybersecurity. And then the second one was what we call autonomous regard, which can also be talked about in terms of the value of relationships and respecting one another. And then the final section was on ethical and moral wisdom, how ethics and morals can apply to the cybersecurity industry. And then I finished it off on how we can talk about diversity and inclusion and actually foster that within the cybersecurity industry without it being a tick box. And I think we can sometimes see a lot within any industry that it comes down to a tick box and it shouldn't. I'm not about that. It's more so about filling capability gaps. And so my main argument was that capability is never reached and we can't be complacent as an industry. The number one favourite quote from my speech was, the cybersecurity industry can't be male, pale and stale. (laughs) And everybody in the audience remembered it. (laughs) Yes. Everybody in the audience remembered that and I had men coming up to me that night saying, hey, great speech, I'm one of the male pale and stale, how can I do better? And I was like, well, good start by recognising your privilege. It, It was really interesting and I talked about the traditional ways that we go about diversity, inclusion, like reconciliation action plans may not be suitable to your organisation. Maybe there's a better means of fostering diversity and talent and measuring that success. In general, at the beginning of the talk, I actually talk about a concept called the digital divide. And the digital divide, I think it's really concerning to me, to be honest, how many people don't know it exists. And so I wanted to put out on a platform that had many listeners and say, hey, this 
this exists. The digital divide exists. And so for the listeners, the digital divide at a very high level is more so to do with the barriers that are in place for people to access technology. So it comes down to access, affordability and availability. And I talk about the digital divide. It impacts First Nations people at a very, very concerning rate, but it also impacts Australians that live below the poverty line and Australians who have a disability and there's a whole series of different groups that it impacts and there's some really concerning data out there. And First Nations people, we face a lot of significant concerning statistics around technological facilitated abuse and there's a lack of training and cybersecurity awareness for community. And I talked about how we can address those barriers in order to develop and foster talent and that we have to acknowledge these social barriers exist in order to make change. And I think that took away some really practical aspects. So, for example, one in four Indigenous homes in Australia don't have internet. That's a really shocking statistic for Australia But that was actually one of the quotes that was tweeted the most and put on LinkedIn the most by listeners. I had a person in one of the big four talk about that on her LinkedIn and it created a lot of buzz. I think that was one of the most successful parts of my speech was saying, hey, there are these really concerning statistics out there, let's address them so we can actually foster diversity and talent while addressing these social barriers at the same time. It's just an absolutely incredible sounding talk. <laughs> and <laughs> speechless. I just I just want to listen to it. Yeah, yeah, you made me speechless again. <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> There's so much in there in such a good way. And I feel like there's a lifetime of work in that talk and I have a feeling you're going to be part of that for sure yeah and what I think is great is the number of people that have come up to her wanting her to present on this at other events you know the word is is going to spread and it's an incredible opportunity for Jasmine to kind of keep putting these messages out there so that people learn and are educated themselves yeah it's clear to your point, Jasmine, that, you know, many people didn't know some of these statistics that you shared, mm. which is concerning. But at the same time, as LP said, it, it's great that more people are kind of wanting to, you to come and talk and share this so that they can learn and educate themselves. And let's hope that translates to action as well, mm. which I'm sure will take time. But just getting that awareness out there is just so important as a starting point. Yeah, and I think one of the things that my coach, Catherine, really encouraged was you don't have to pretend to know everything. You can confidently say, hey, I am a newcomer to cybersecurity and this is what I think now. And you know what? In 10 years when the cybersecurity landscape looks different, my thoughts are going to change and that's okay. It's not bad. To that point, I actually took questions and I had somebody from the audience ask me this really technical question and I I just didn't even know where to begin. I was like, I don't understand any of that. And I owned it and I said, 
That's a really good question. I'll take that on notice and I'll get back to you on my answer. And my mentor made the whole audience clap when I said that. (laughs) (laughs) It was just really interesting to me that that was okay. Like I wasn't judged for saying that. That was actually celebrated. It's okay to admit you don't know everything. I'm so glad that happened because it's so true. And I think many of us have kind of been in the industry for a while and I'll speak candidly, you know, for myself, I've very much felt that fear of judgment and not knowing all the answers and definitely in the past would have made me afraid of speaking up. But yeah, I feel like things are changing too. And it's really great to hear that that was applauded Mm. and just to encourage other people as well that it's okay not to know the answers we're still really early in this industry it's a young young youngish industry there's so much we have to learn there's so much we can improve on and yeah we absolutely need to be open to not knowing and being okay with that Mm. so it's fantastic that you could demonstrate that Yeah, I talk about that in the ethical and moral wisdom section of my speech. I said, it's okay that we're a young industry and we're still finding our way. But what a better way to help us find our way than to apply the knowledge of the oldest living continuous culture in the world. How special is that? How important is that too as we live in Australia we operate on the land of First Nations people let's bring them into the conversation in every industry and I don't think cyber security should be an exception to that either. All right well I was just going to say that's just incredible and if I've been a bit speechless LP did explain to me how incredibly intelligent and articulate you are but just meeting you and having this conversation I am blown away you're just an amazing force. It's been a fabulous, fabulous chat and I'm going to take away so much from talking to you. So thank you. Oh, thank you. So Jasmine, I'm so sad that our time has come to an end on this podcast. It's just been incredible to have this opportunity to chat to you. Thank you so much for your time. If people want to follow you, what's the best way to do that? Are you on the socials at all? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. That's where I'm most active at the moment. Awesome. Episode 12. Gosh, we couldn't have picked a better person to end this season with. Jasmine, you you were going to do big things in this industry and we are honoured to be able to say we knew you when, when you first came in. (laughs) We're just going to watch you grow and grow and grow and do amazing things in this industry and for Australia too, which is just wonderful. So thank you so much. Thank you for being an incredible participant within Project Friedman. And we will be reaching out to you when we start our next cohort, because I think you'll be an incredible mentor to somebody in the program. So I hope you'll join us then. But thank you so much for being here with us to record this podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. This podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the Australian Signals Directorate. For updates on Women Speak Cyber and our initiatives to help elevate, grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter at Women Speak Cyber or find us on LinkedIn.